KTSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live Bible answer program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a question on the Bible or the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. That's 1 888 Ask CSN. Now let's get things started. Here's today's host. And hello, everybody. I'm Jeff Wickwire, pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And it's so good to have you with us today for another edition of To Every Man an Answer. Uh, I was there last night with uh, Mike Kessler. We had some great questions come in. I know there's going to be some good ones today. So I want to invite you uh, to call in. If you've got a Bible question, we're hopefully going to be able to answer that question for you. And I find that more and more People have questions about the Bible because people sense almost instinctively that something is up in our world. Something is going on behind the veil, behind the scenes, behind the curtain. Uh, they're in that fourth dimension that is spiritual. People sense that we're living in a, a very unique time period. And in fact, we are. These are the last days. And you know, I was thinking about what Jesus said. He said, many are going to come in my name. When they asked Jesus, what's going to be the sign of the end, uh, the end of time or right before you return, what will things look like? Jesus said, watch out that nobody deceives you. And we're living in a time of, I'm telling you, industrial strength deception. It's everywhere, all over social media, false Christ, false prophets, all kinds of things out there, uh, teachers that are teaching things that are so foreign to scripture. So people have Bible questions that we want to answer them for you. So if you've got a Bible question today, give us a call at 8888-ASK-CSN. That is 8888-ASK-CSN. And we'll get right to your question as soon as we can. And with me today as my co-host, my co-pilot for the show is Brad Dacus, who is the founder and a president of Pacific Justice Institute which is an, uh, an attorney for, well, it's a organization full of attorneys that are fighting for your rights and mine, fighting for the principles and values of scripture. And it's so good to have Brad with us today. And Brad, thank you for coming. And, uh, you've probably got some things to share with us. I'm sure that are right hot out of the oven, right? Oh, I certainly do. <laughs> you know, we, uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, we at Pacific Justice Institute have over a hundred cases in active litigation as we speak. And just one case alone, uh, for example, I know against the uh, city of San Francisco has over a thousand plaintiffs that we're representing just one case. So we have over a hundred of these of cases with multiple plaintiffs per case usually or frequently. So, um, I, I like to mention the most recent case we just filed, I believe it was yesterday in federal court in Florida, uh, a lawsuit against uh, Miami, uh, Dade County. And, uh, this is, uh, you know, the county government. There was a gentleman working there, uh, for the government and he's a Christian and, uh, he was, uh, you know, doing fine. He's no, no complaints, uh, employees. He was working fine with his, with his other, other peers. Uh, but, uh, as it turns out, um, it was discovered that he did a, an op-ed piece on a, obscure, you know, uh, uh, published journal and on the online journal and, uh, where he talked about a biblical worldview dealing with some of these uh, issues of sexuality, et cetera, 
Uh, he addressed the uh, uh, Equality Act and, and uh, its danger to religious freedom across America and just, you know, just expressed himself. Um, and uh, because of that, it was done seven years ago, because of that it was discovered and the county ordered him to be punished by having him go through a reorientation program. Part of that, effectively, he would have to deny his faith, his Christian beliefs, when it comes to right, these right. issues and what the Bible says. Uh, and then also he'd have to be mandatory to immediately use pronouns that violated the Christian beliefs and, and his convictions. So as it turns out, uh, he was fired, outright fired, because he would not deny his faith or his convictions. And uh, we have filed this lawsuit in federal court on his behalf, uh, alleging, of course, discrimination based on his First Amendment rights of free speech, the free exercise of religion, and freedom of the press. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. You know, Brad, you and I uh, both grew up, you you in Plano, me in Richardson. I think I'm right about that, right? You, right. You're a former Plano Wildcat. So, That's right. Um, but, you know, when we were teenagers, who would have ever thought that we would be ordered to call a man or a boy with a female pronoun. I mean, who could have ever, uh, if you were a science fiction writer, you could not have sat down and imagined the kinds of things we're facing today. And um, it's just a mind blower. It's actually forcing you to lie. Right. You're and, forcing and, you, yeah. And to lie and also forcing you to in, encourage something, a confusion existing in a child, uh, you become a participant, if you will, you because this, this this minor child is confused. It's gender identity dysphoria. Dysphoria is seeing something different than as, as it really is. And you're actually playing into it. And the problem is if that kid's just left alone, overwhelming majority, over 70%, once they say over 85% of them, just left alone will work through it and not have that dysphoria. But when you have a society, you have teachers and others, uh, people being ordered uh, to to play into it and encourage yes. the deception, encourage their confusion, yes. then they're less likely to break through of it. They're more likely to uh, to solidify it. And when they do, it's most unfortunate because the studies show that most will not live to see their 30th birthday. Um, these procedures don't get rid of uh, depression, doesn't get rid of any other mental conditions. Um, and uh, suicide is, is very high. It doesn't reduce yes. the rate of suicide either. It's, it actually solidifies it. So, uh, it's very tragic, and uh, and it's, it's 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 nonsensical. But there's nothing scientific, no psychology studies, social studies, uh, scientific studies that legitimize these policies at all. It is they're demonic. That's the only explanation I have. There's no logic That's and right. reasoning. No. As an attorney, I'm, I look for logic and reason, and I it's just you just can't find it. And when you can't find it, you realize there's a whole other dimension involved yeah. outside of the law. In science. It's, com it's completely irrational. And uh, uh, for those of you just now t uh, tuning in, you're listening to Every Man and Answer on Christian Satellite Network. I'm Jeff Wickwire filling in for Mike Kessler. I'm the pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And with me is Brad Dick, is founder and president of Pacific Justice Institute. And you know, uh, oh, and by the way, if you want to call in a question, please do. We've got a couple of lines open, 8888-ASK-CSN. And we'd love to answer your Bible question. But just to carry this a little further, Brad, uh, I've been reading a book recently by Eric Metaxas. Uh, it's called A Letter to the American Church. And it's really a wake-up call. I would encourage you to get it if you haven't gotten it, because it'll be right up your alley. Mm. Um, Metaxas is making the argument that 
the church in America is being tested just like the German church was tested during the rise of Nazism. And the German church did not rise to the occasion. They folded like a cheap deck of cards. They did not stand up against Hitler. Of course, you had rare exceptions like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But um, for for the most part, the, the, the German church, which was primarily Lutheran, went along to get along. And they did not lift up a voice against the nightmare that was unfolding before them. And Metaxas makes the case that they could have had a huge part in turning Hitler back if they had stood up. Then he goes on to say that we're facing a similar type of Marxism, uh, totalitarianism. Uh, it's not, you know, against, it's not the anti-Semitic type, but it's anti-gender, it's anti-Christian, and it's really anti-Bible. And it's no longer, you've got, you know, a little group of people off in the background, you know, kind of thinking weird thoughts and pushing for a weird worldview. But now, as you know, Brad, it's a war. It's an ideological, theological, philosophical war. And Metaxas is saying, we better stand up and stand up now, or we're going to lose the battle and lose the country. Your thoughts? Yeah, he's uh, he's, he's totally correct on that. Um, and there's interesting parallels with uh, the church during Nazi Germany and the United States. Um, you know, complacency, uh, being uh, obsessed with comfort, um, is very, very dangerous uh, to the church. And uh, unfortunately, that is in many ways, where the where the church is, you know, we see churches bending over backward, compromising the word yeah. of God, uh, skipping yeah. certain issues or in scripture because uh, may make people feel uncomfortable. It may hurt the ties that you know, whatever. Um, yeah. This is is very real, and uh, you know, we have our our pastor liaison office headed up by Peter Mort, who himself is a pastor. Um, he's our full time liaison out of our office in Palmdale, California. He interacts directly with churches and pastors, trying to equip them on voter registration at their churches and uh, giving them the resources they need to help their church take full advantage of their rights to have the, the church's voice heard. Um, and yet, uh, he's told me, he said, you know, there's a, there's a lot of churches, and it's not just some mainline churches. It's some churches that are, you know, supposedly from a you know solid Bible-believing denominations where the pastors are saying, uh, yeah, no, we, we, we don't want to offend anyone. We, we're just going to be real neutral and just real blah and complain. You know, they don't say blah, but, uh, that's, that's what their, their messaging is. And it's, it's dangerous because, you know, the, the fire of, of persecution and hate, uh, mm-hmm. towards uh, the Christian faith is no longer on top of the mountain. Um, it's at the, it's at the steps of our, our church steeples. And, and it's at our we, own front door. Our own front door. So we need to understand that as believers. Uh, and uh, and the part of that exhortation is not only standing up for what's right and true, and and uh, but also uh, being willing to, I think, be motivated to share the gospel and the good news of, of Christ to people mm-hmm. around us uh, like never before. The church statistically is very complacent when it comes to evangelism on a one-on-one basis, you know, and that's how the church spread. That's that's the history of the growth of the church. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think that's also very, very important uh, in addition to the, the legal battles and the social and political battles we're facing. It is indeed. 
You're listening to To Every Man and Answer with Jeff Wickwire, filling in for Mike Kessler. And uh, with me is Brad Dacus, president and founder of Pacific Justice Institute. Maybe you've got a legal question for Brad out there. Give us a call, 8888-ASK-CSN. Now let's go ahead, Brad, and jump into some questions that are uh, waiting. So let's go to Tim in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Did I get that right, Tim? Yes, that's right. How can we help today? Well, I had a question about the 144,000 uh, uh, from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. And I know the Jehovah Witnesses be- believe that they are them. I, I, that's not my question, though. It's uh, are they are they witnesses? Sometimes I hear people talk and they want to make a point that they are not witnesses. And I don't know if that's because they're bristling over the Jehovah Witnesses claim or if uh, they don't want to be con- them to be confused with the the two uh, witnesses who were dead in the street for th- for three days. But my question is, are they not witnesses because of what it says about them? They're sealed on their forehead and they're wearing the white robe and they're uh, proclaiming Christ as the Lord. Yeah, it's a great question. There has to be a reason that the Holy Spirit moved John to write down what he did about the 144,000. Uh, for those who may not be aware of it, it's in Revelations chapter 7, and starting at verse 4 through 8, uh, we read that God sovereignly chooses 12,000 men out of every one of the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 times 12, of course, equaling 144,000, and uh, he, he just, he tells us that, okay, it's a fact. They are sovereignly called out, and they are sealed. Now, there has to be a reason for that. And I believe the reason is in verse 9, right after John has finished giving us the last tribe uh, of Benjamin, and the 12,000 were sealed in that tribe. It says in verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, And they are crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, why would the description of this vast multitude of people praising God for salvation be listed immediately after John gives us the uh, 12,000 out of every tribe, the 144,000 Jewish men? Well, I think he's letting us see the harvest that is the result of their ministry in the earth. He's clearly connecting the two. So I believe, and most commentators that I've ever read believe, that the 144,000 are going to sort of be like um, 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams evangelizing the world during the tribulation period, which is another important thing to note here. All of these salvations have happened during the Great Tribulation. Because the church is raptured. The church is gone. So these are what we call tribulation saints. These are people who turn to Christ during the tribulation period, either by the witnessing of these uh, Jewish evangelists 
We're also told that an angel is sent from God to travel to the four corners of the globe, announcing salvation through Jesus Christ to the entire world. There's also, as you mentioned, uh, Tim, the two witnesses uh, standing in the streets of Jerusalem that uh, are resurrected from the dead right in front of the eyes of the entire world. So though the Great Tribulation is a time of wrath and ferocious judgment falling in 21 different judgments and three different stages, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, um, even so, the great mercy of God is being poured out on the world during this time, and a vast multitude of people are saved. So once again, God is so good, so merciful, so gracious. And uh, Brad, you might have some thoughts on this. Yeah, uh, I think you just described it very well. Um, uh, you know, in looking at the word, if you have doubts, just go back and look and what it look at what it actually you know what it what it's saying. And uh, when in doubt, um, sort of when you interpret the Constitution, you know, you want to be a, as a strict constructionist as as much as possible as to what it's actually saying. Uh, and that keeps you on the straight and narrow with regard to constitutional law. Same principles with biblical interpretation and of Scripture. Um, and I think that's the, the safest way to go is is uh, how it's spelled out. I do like the, the, the fact also you pointed out the grace and mercy of God. I mean, this is after, you know, the, the rapture. Um, and these are people, you know, at a time that, you know, they didn't make the rapture. They're the people who are rebelling against God, um, you know, it's you know such as the days of Noah. And yet God's still going to be moving and his grace is going to be there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and to see how he's going to be glorified in the tribulation, through the tribulation, um, is uh, should be encouraging to all of us as to how awesome and powerful our God is as we face uh, challenges and struggles today. You know, exactly. And, you know, it's, it, it is amazing to me that God is love. Uh, that's, he doesn't just love, he is love. Right. Uh, and so being a God of love, even during this terrible time of the outpouring of wrath like the world has never seen, uh, just unprecedented tribulation, God is still moving and saving people, convicting them of sin, and they're turning to Christ. We might want to note before we uh, end this call, uh, Tim, that you can be saved during the tribulation, but it will not be easy going. Remember, this is the time of the mark of the beast, where you'll receive a mark on the back of your hand or on your forehead, and you will not be able to function in society without the mark. You won't be able to buy. You won't be able to sell. Think about that. You can't, you can't sell a car to make some money to go to the store, uh, because by then it will be a cashless society anyway, but you won't even be able to sell something that you own because of this mark, not having the mark. And yet to get the mark is to be damned, to be lost forever sealed with the seal of the devil. And it's interesting to me that these 144,000 Jewish men are sealed by God. And look at how the devil counterfeits God. Uh, He seals people with the mark of the beast. So this sealing is a mark of ownership. And I believe that's what it's telling us about these 144,000 Jewish men. And Tim, I hope that uh, helps. They, They are purchased by the blood of Christ, and they're owned by him, and they are mightily used by him in the Great Tribulation. Does that help? 
it helps. I guess the the issue may have been more uh, where a person will say, where in the Bible does it say they're witnesses? And my only response is it doesn't refer to them as witnesses per se in verse 7, but they're what they're doing describes a witness. You know, they're not going door to door handing out tracts, but but they're they're proclaiming Christ in a loud voice and they're sealed with a mark on their forehead and they're dressed in the white robe and so they're, yeah. they're they seem to be a witness for Christ in my mind, even though the word witness yeah. is not used in the passage. Yeah, they they have to have a purpose. And right. we could ask, have you ever known a Christian that did not witness? I haven't. If you're a genuine believer, you're going to witness. Let your light shine. Uh, so uh, I believe that what follows the description of these these 12 tribes, that 12,000 are saved out of each tribe, what follows is this picture of this huge, vast uh, array of souls that have been saved in the tribulation. And they follow John's description of them. So I believe they're connected. And I believe there's a purpose for them being signed, sealed, and ultimately delivered into heaven like the rest of us. So I hope that helps, Tim. And stay on the line. We'll get you a CD or a couple of books for calling in. And you have a blessed day in Wisconsin. I know. Let's go now to, let's go to Tom in Oregon. Hello, Tom. How can we help today? Oh, well, hi, uh, Jeff and, and Brad. I, I appreciate what you do, Brad. I've had to, I'm a public school teacher here in Oregon. I've had to get some legal advice on some things during uh, the COVID era. So I really appreciate what your, your team does. Here's a question Thank for you, you Jeff. Okay. Um, you know, I was reading in John the other day, I think it was, uh, where Jesus comes upon the Samaritan woman at the well. It's a uh, mm-hmm. it's a quiet place. There's nobody there but those two. Who recorded that? Who? How did that? How, and and that happens with a lot of circumstances. How did those private moments become print? Does that make sense? Yeah, they became print this way. We we go to what Jesus taught. Uh, now I'm remembering this. I'm going on memory here, but I think it's John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen in there where Jesus makes a promise, and this is a crucial promise because it has everything to do with how the New Testament came about, especially a lot of the history and the teachings of Christ. Like, how did the disciples remember everything? How did they write down everything Jesus said with perfect recall? Well, we find that Jesus promised uh, to send the Holy Spirit, and he said, When the Spirit of God comes, the Comforter, the Advocate, He's going to bring to your memory everything that I have said. Now there Jesus is promising perfect recall by the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people read right over that and they don't catch it. Because here's Jesus laying the groundwork for for how the New Testament would come about. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your memory everything that I have taught. And so, perfect recall, all right? So, then Peter tells us that when the Word of God was written, holy men of old were moved on by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, that word moved is important. In the Greek language, it's not automatic writing, okay? It's not like they fell into a trance and something grabbed their hand and they started writing like somebody under some hypnotic trance. No. The word moved is from the, the word that means to be borne along or uh, like the blowing of a wind on the sail of a sailboat, okay? So the sailboat moves when the the breeze blows the sail. And as long as the breeze is blowing the sail, the sailboat moves. When the breeze stops blowing, it stops moving. It was the same way with the way Scripture was given. The Holy Spirit, per the promise of Jesus, moved on his apostles, all right? Paul, Peter, James, John, and Jude were the primary writers of the epistles. Then you've got uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and uh, they wrote uh, the Gospels. But here's the deal. Very important we get this. They were moved on by the Holy Spirit, born along. The Holy Spirit inspired them, and they began to write what they were inspired to write. And as long as the Spirit of God moved on them, they were moved writers. But when the Spirit of God pulled back and and quit moving on them, they were no longer moved writers. That's how the Bible came about. Now, again, really important here, they had instant recall, supernatural recall. You know, like how did Matthew... Remember the Sermon on the Mount, word for word. Uh, How did they remember all the things Jesus taught, all the things that are written in red ink in in a red-letter Bible that you see that Jesus said? How did they do that? Because Jesus promised when the Comforter comes, the Advocate comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to lead you into all truth. And he also said he will show you things to come. Well, there Jesus is telling us that his apostles would receive prophecy, future prophecy, because he will tell you things to come. So we got two things in that promise. He will bring to your memory what I've taught, what you've heard with perfect recall, and he will give you future prophecy. So we have Paul prophesying, we have Peter prophesying, we have the entire book of Revelation, John prophesying. Well, Jesus said that would happen. So we're coming up on a break. I hated to go that long, but I want us to really understand this. We'll be right back, Tom. Don't go anywhere. Brad, thanks for being with us. Stay tough. I want to hear your thoughts on this right after the break. We'll be right back. This is CSN. The abortion pill now accounts for over 50% of all abortions and is readily available in all states. Preborn Ministry continues to stand with women in crisis in their darkest hour and bring hope and life. After Marissa took the abortion pill, she immediately regretted it, but Preborn was there for her. Look at that baby. Look how beautiful he is. Look at that. Abortion pill reversal actually works. This here's heartbeat. By the amazing grace of God, this baby was saved, but there are so many more who need our help. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives and sharing the heart of Jesus, call 855 668 
baby. That's 855-668-BABY or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. CSN International welcomes you to actively participate in the continued growth of the radio network through donations. CSN is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and as such, CSN is able to accept tax-deductible donations of cash, stocks, bonds, real or personal property, automobiles, and other worldly assets, including broadcasting stations and broadcasting equipment. You can make a big difference for the kingdom of God. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation, you can go online to csnradio.com to donate, or you can mail your donations to CSN International, Post Office Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. You can also donate by calling today with your financial support at 1-800-357-4226. Everybody, welcome back to To Every Man and Answer. I'm Jeff Wickwire, sitting in for Mike Kessler today, and with me is Brad Dacus, the founder and president of Pacific Justice Institute, doing just incredible legal work for the kingdom of God all over the country. And it's so good to have Brad with us today. And right before the break, we had a caller wanting to know uh, how certain things ended up in the Bible. Uh, you know, how did, for instance, since none of the disciples were there in person when Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter four, how did they write about it? And I was sharing, it's very important that we as Christians understand this because the word of God is really coming under attack in our day. Uh, A lot of skeptics, a lot of atheists uh, attacking the validity of it, so on and so forth. So I was simply sharing before the break that Jesus predicted in John 14, and I, I found the verse for you, Tom, it's John 14, 26, that the helper, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, grab that because it matters. Jesus is telling the apostles, you're going to have Holy Spirit recall of what I have taught. That's how we know they could faithfully write down the things Jesus said and did. And then in John 16, Jesus said, and he, the Holy Spirit, will show you things to come. So there, Jesus, uh, let us know that the apostles were going to be receiving prophecy. And they, they did, particularly the writers of the epistles, Paul, Peter, James, John, and Jude. They all received prophecy. So, uh, Brad, you, uh, your thoughts on this? Yeah, a couple of points. First, I agree with what you just said wholeheartedly. You're, you're absolutely right. God's word is so clear and uh, on, on this point as to um, how they how they would know this. Uh, but other other point I want to make is that um, the scriptures don't say that everything that Jesus said is written in these gospels. Um, I think that's real mm-hmm. important to note. So there's also a possibility, perhaps, that Jesus may have. Um, may have explained them the story later later on. They said, "Well, what's what's going on?" Jesus, let, Jesus may say, "Hey, let me tell you what happened." 
you know. So there's also that that mm-hmm. that other dialogue that we don't always necessarily see. Um, but uh, and, and then second, we also know from an evidentiary perspective how reliable uh, these accounts are because even though they have different perspectives and, and different uh, angles, they they agree with each other. And this is real important from an evidentiary perspective. Uh, they uh, they they. You can you can see the the the, the angle or the perspective uh, is, is is a little different um, when you look at the you know the, the gospels for example they're not exactly word for word um, you know precisely the same which is really um, a positive because it shows the uh, the fact that these weren't just just copies and someone said okay I'll stick my name Matthew you stick your name Mark uh, but mm-hmm. reality um, they they have a different different flavor a different emphasis. Uh, one is on you know the, the royalty of, of Christ, the kingship of Christ, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. the, the human human nature of Christ, the the, the God uh, nature of, of Christ, etc. So, uh, I, I think from an evidentiary perspective, we can also just look at the the, the multiple scriptures and how they agree with each other, how they complement each other, um, and show the, the common moving of the Holy Spirit in a, in a wonderful way uh, to uh, to uh, sort of sing sing together. And a very nice orchestra. Yeah, that's a great point, Tom. Uh, real important that um, every Christian gets this, and and Brad is right. Jesus could have walked away from Samaria uh, after meeting with that woman a couple of days. He stayed a couple of days and left, and he could have told them how it all went down. He, he could have, but when you look at the New Testament in its entirety, uh, you go, how did they remember the teachings? How did they? Uh, you know, how do they get all the detail right? How do we know that what Jesus said is actually what is written here? Well, because he promised the Holy Spirit would bring to their memory what he said. And as uh, Brad made the point, these were four different men, four different backgrounds. And when you look at the Bible in its entirety, uh, it's written over about 1,500 years. So a millennia and a half. It took to write the Bible, 40 different authors or so, and yet, and, and 66 books, 39 old, 27 new uh, Testament, and yet they all agree. They all have the same message. They come together like a beautiful orchestra with one major theme, God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So it's an amazing book. Tom, I hope that that helps. You you two did a really nice job. I appreciate what you do. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. All right, let's go to Jeff in Washington. Hello, Jeff. How can we help? Um, hey, I had a question about the Ezekiel thirty-eight, thirty-nine war. Um, yeah. I I heard two pastors uh, on this radio station. I I can't remember the names. I know one was a um a, a an Israelite or. Jew from, uh, or that's a, a pastor or a evangelist, and I. Um, anyways, they were they were talking about like what Putin's doing, you know, and then talking about this whole pipeline explosion and how it it, it could and kind of lines up us uh, closer to this war. Um, so my question is: is uh, is is that Ezekiel thirty-eight, thirty-nine war before or after the the rapture. That's a question we get a lot, and I will tell you, no one knows. Uh, here's the interesting thing about this war: if you read it 
carefully, Ezekiel 38, 39, uh, you will discover it's never happened in history. There's no question it has never happened in history. So this is a yet-to-be-fulfilled Bible prophecy. Then when you read the nations that will uh, join with Russia in a wicked confederacy against Israel, uh, every single nation that Ezekiel names uh, are rapidly anti-Israel today. They are all Muslim, and uh, they have all spoken of, or at least many of them have spoken of, their true desire to wipe Israel off the face of the map. Now, with this latest uh, thing with Russia and Ukraine, we watched Russia attack Ukraine with the very character that Ezekiel describes Russia. Of course, Russia in Ezekiel 38 is Magog, Gog and Magog. And um, when you when you read of Magog's aggressive nature, cruelty, um, it, it's because it says that that Magog will come down with these uh, Confederate nations, these Muslim nations, and will attack Israel to take a spoil and to take a prey. So they decide Israel's got something we want, and so we're just going to go take it. Well, you see, you you see the same character in the way Russia invaded Ukraine. We we want it. We're just going to take it. And they have committed war crimes. They have slaughtered tens of thousands of innocent uh, civilians, uh, women and children. What they have done is they have tortured people. It is truly horrific. But what's important to note is we're seeing, again, the character attributes that Ezekiel attributes to Gog and Magog. Gog is the leader of Magog. So Gog is, uh, you, you could say, the president of Magog, and Magog is Russia. So I'm not saying that Gog is Putin, but I'm saying uh, you get the idea. So that, to me, is what's interesting about Ezekiel 38. Now, whether or not uh, it happens before the rapture or after, I don't know. The only thing you've got to consider is Ezekiel says that when God judges Magog and these surrounding nations, I personally believe it'll be the end of Islam because these nations attacking Israel are all Islamic except Russia. All the rest of the names are Islamic and they are annihilated. They are decimated, not by Israel, but by the hand of God, by a supernatural intervention of God. They are decimated. There's not much left to, to tuck tail and run. And so I believe it's Islam's last stand. But now, having said that, it says that they'll be burning weapons for seven years. There will be so many weapons just laying around on the battlefield, just left because of the annihilation that happens to these different nations. Um that they'll be burning them for seven years. Can you imagine a bunch of weapons being burned for the entirety of the seven-year tribulation period? I don't know. But I think that's something you've got to consider. But again, that to me, uh, Jeff, is the real uh, interesting thing about the Ezekiel 38 war. Whenever it does happen, we've sort of seen a dress rehearsal with the way they've come against, against Ukraine. They will do the same thing 
with Israel, but they'll have help. They'll have a lot of help. This pan-Islamic confederacy that will be with them, and it'll be something else to see the judgment of God fall on them. Uh, what an amazing, amazing uh, slice of history that is yet to happen, but sure seems to be on the horizon. Brad, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a, a great observation of, of uh, Russia and their relationship with uh, the Muslim world, and, and particularly re- with regard to Russia and Iran. Um, it's uh, They have a, a very tight relationship. Uh, Iran has recently provided uh, drones to Russia. Uh, you know, and then when you look at Iran and what's going on there, um, you know, they're, they're Shiite Muslims, which only about 15% of the world are, are Shiite Muslims, the rest are Sunni. But uh, the Shiite Muslims believe that in the end days, you know, final days, that uh, the 12th Amman will come up out of a well. Um, but before that, there has to be a massive bloodshed, massive war and killing and death. And um, so that's what they're, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the end game for them. Uh, and, uh, and so Israel stands in the way of there being, you know, you know, uh, Islam throughout the world and controlling the world and, and that whole, uh, system. So, um, they have a, a, not just an economic mandate. People say, well, why would they want to go after Israel? I mean, what does Israel have? Well, they have some oil drilling taking place and all, but, um, it's, there's a, 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 a theological, uh, element to this that's will uh, that, that compels at least, uh, uh, for example like the Shiite Muslims uh, to uh, to wipe Israel off the face of the earth and for that matter Christians at the end of the day so um, yeah it's something you can't uh, it's really just practically uh, almost uh, inevitable and it's interesting how Scripture um, pro- prophesies what we can see is uh, in many ways uh, an inevitability with regards to uh, the way the, uh, the core of the, of the Muslim world thinks in, in, uh, in the Middle yeah. East. Yeah, they, it may very well be mixed motives. Russia wanting to get something because that's, that's where they are ideologically. They're atheists, so they don't have theological motivations about much of anything. But the, the pan-Islamic uh, confederate nations that follow with them may have a theological motive. Uh, but nevertheless, it's going to happen. And uh, it's it's going to be an awesome time in history. Um, people have asked me, well, where's America in all of that? You know, I just don't see America much involved uh, in that war at all. And um, so that's another topic, though. Jeff, I hope that helps. And uh, thanks so much for calling in. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Thank you so much. All right. Well, listen, you stay on the line and. We'll get you a couple of CDs, a couple of books for calling in. And thank you, Jeff, and you be blessed there in Washington. And let's go now to Ed in Apache Junction, Arizona. Hello, Ed. How can we help? Hello, uh, Jeff and uh, Brad. My question has to do with uh, a two-part question. It depends on how the first part is answered. Second uh, Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. And if I were to die today, I'd be with the Lord which is okay with me. But let's go to First uh, Thessalonians 4.16. And you read that passage, and it has, <clears throat> part of that passage is, says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So my question is, and this is where my confusion lies, what kind of existence would I have if I die today? 
That's a, that's a great question. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, let me just, let me give an illustration. Let's, let's pretend that you, on your hand is a glove. All right. You've got a glove and the glove is over your hand. Now, as long as your hand is in that glove, the glove is animated. It moves. It moves because the hand moves it. Now, in my illustration, the glove represents your body and the hand represents your soul. Now, as long as our soul is in our body, we are animated. We're alive. We talk. We move. We have a life. We eat. We sleep. All right. But when the soul leaves the body, then that body is no longer animated. It goes completely limp, and we say that it dies, all right? Now, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if I were to die, I would go immediately, that is, my soul would go into the presence of the Lord, the hand. But the glove, the body, goes into the ground. Okay, now what your soul is doing in heaven until the rapture of the church and until your body is called out of the grave, we only have hints in the Bible. I wish I knew more, Um, but you can rest assured you're with Christ, you're resting in Christ, you're fully conscious and aware that you are in heaven. Uh, You you you're there, but your body is not. Now, it's easy to also remember that when Jesus was in his tomb, all right, the Bible says he died on the cross. He was as dead as any man was ever dead. His body was dead. So the glove was dead, but the hand was in the presence of the Lord, was in heaven, because Jesus told the thief on the cross, today, today, this day, you will be with me, where? In paradiso paradise. So Jesus said, I'm going to die today on the cross. My body is going to go into a tomb, but I am going to go into paradise. And you, thief on the cross, because you believed on me, you're going to be there with me. So then on Easter morning, Jesus' soul returned to his body, and he was resurrected with a glorified body. It walked through closed doors and and then ate something on the other side of that door. It was a supernatural body. He appeared out of nowhere. He appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to the disciples when they were uh, hiding behind locked doors. Um, He would suddenly just be there. He had this glorified body, no more subject to pain, of course, Jesus never was sick, never had any kind of a disease, but he certainly experienced pain, and he certainly experienced sorrow because he was called a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. So he had emotions like we do. He had pain like we experience, but his glorified body no longer. Now, your reference to 1 Thessalonians 4, and then I'll go to Brad for more comments. 1 Thessalonians 4 is all about the resurrection of our bodies from the grave. And the Bible says, at the sound of the last trumpet and the shout of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise and they will instantly be given a resurrected 
glorified body. Paul expounds on this body um, exhaustively in 1 Corinthians 15. Whole chapter is the resurrection chapter. So your 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 body will be raised a glorified body, and as it goes up and meets the Lord in the air, my understanding is your soul will be rejoined to your glorified body, and then you go to heaven with Christ, to the marriage supper of the Lamb, to the judgment seat of Christ, where we receive our rewards, and so on and so forth. So uh, Jesus is the, uh, the the perfect example, the first fruits, Paul says. He's the first fruits. He's the example. And as it, as it was with him, so shall it be with us. Brad, your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, one thing I like about, uh, this, this question in the scripture is it's, uh, it, it, it sort of proves that man didn't come up with this. Uh, because when a human comes up with something, uh, they define it and describe it completely in terms of what they see, what they, you know, their dimension, if you will. Uh, this introduces, uh, a dimension that we don't understand, which is what you would expect if if it's truth coming from something greater than man, mm-hmm. uh, a God Almighty and Creator of all things. Uh, and so, I think it's important for Christians to know that uh, not to be ever you know get too stumped and discouraged when things don't seem to like always um, be comprehensible or fully understandable. Like you know, what does it mean in a soul? You know, our soul is going to be in what kind of you know state? What kind of con- you know concept? Um, that's a that's that's proof that uh that what we we're talking about is is not something that's just conjured up by man this is something that is uh, given by god and it should is and as far as i'm concerned evidence of uh of the uh, inspiration of scripture and the and the inspiration of god in terms of uh, what he's 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 showing here uh, faith comes into trusting god uh but his word is great in that it it gives us um uh, enough to understand um, you know, for, for our purposes, uh, what's going to happen, but not to, uh, to fully be able to, con- to, uh, uh, contrive, contrive and, 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 uh, fully, yeah. uh, understand all the details. We, we don't have to, uh, but it's, yeah. uh, it is, it is nice to see how, how, um, uh, if, you know, it's, it's, it, because it is real, because it is true and it's something that God created, not us, um, that it's, it's natural to have sort of, you know, questions and wonders about exactly what is it going to be, you know, and uh, we should, uh, that, that shouldn't um, discourage us. That should actually be a comfort as to the fact that this wasn't something created by man because man would have simplified it uh, to yeah. a very physical dimension. Yeah, it's, it's a powerful thing. There is going to be a resurrection. <laughs> People have said to me, how's God going to rec- resurrect, like, say, the Apostle Paul's body, which is now nothing but ashes? And I say, well, wait a minute. He created something out of nothing. Right. All of creation was created ex nihilo, something, out of absolutely nothing. And so there was a prime causer and a prime cause for everything that is. And um, without the word of God speaking it into existence, it never would have been. So if he can do that, then he can call ashes together and bring them into a glorified body and uh, the soul join to that body. And then we're in heaven, and it's a it's a beautiful thing. So, Ed, does does that help? 
Oh, tremendously. And just as a sideline, I was uh, I remembered a debate between uh, this is the kind of a rabbit trail, uh, the rapture, since we're talking in First Thessalonians 4. Uh, there was a debate between Dr. Walter Martin and I forget who the other person was, but Walter Martin was taking the position that it was uh, going to be a uh, the, the church will go through the uh, the tribulation, and the other person said, mm-hmm. "Okay, Walter, you can hold to that. I'll just be waving to you as I, I'm raptured up." Mm-hmm. So yeah. I thought it was just a well, theological they, joke. <laughs> well, right. yeah, and and the bottom line is that that Walter would be going right up with him. And yeah. he would have to be saying, you were right, you were right, all the way up. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's that's great, Ed. And I so appreciate the call. And that was a great question. And I hope that helped you. And uh, stay on the line, and we'll get you a couple of CDs or DVDs and or books for calling in. And you be blessed there in Arizona. Our prayers are with you. And let's go to Bobby now in Carson City, Nevada. Hello, Bobby. How can we help? Hi, Pastor. Uh, it's Spring Creek, Nevada. Oh, Spring Creek. That's okay. Yeah, Nevada. It's uh, a ways from Carson City. Uh, God bless you both. But my question is, uh, is it in Revelation? There's a scripture that, sa- that says that we will have a new name. Yes. That is at the very end of the book of Revelation. I don't have... Uh, the exact verse right here, but yes, uh, it does say we will be given a new name. And uh, what that new name is going to be is anyone's guess. It's just one of those things, uh, like Brad was just sharing, that you can't just come up with this stuff. Um, who would have ever thought to say, when you go to heaven, not only are the streets going to be made of gold that is so pure, it's going to be like transparent glass. Think about that. Gold so pure, it's see-through, all right, like crystal. But that you and I, the redeemed of the Lord, are going to receive new names. And how many names does that entail? Millions upon millions and millions and hundreds of millions of the redeemed of the Lord throughout the ages uh, are going to receive new names. And only God can do that. And um, But yes, you're right. It does say that. It doesn't tell us what they are, but we will receive a new name. I'm excited to to find out what mine is, and um, I'm sure somehow or another, the new names will be connected to Yeshua, Jesus. That's my guess. Yes. Your thoughts, Brad? Yeah, you know, I'm also reminded how, how Jesus said, um, he, he says that uh, that he will receive us unto himself, that where he is, we will be also. And yet, at the same time, we are, we're going to have a mansion in heaven. Um, it's just, it's just, it makes you wonder how exciting it's going to be. Um, the amen. new dimension, the new dimensions that we're going to amen. be experiencing. It's going to be awesome. Our, amen. Our time is up. Thank you so much, Brad, for being with us. Thank you, everyone. This is Jeff Wickwire saying, have a blessed day. We'll see you next time on To Every Man and Answer. Keep looking up. Jesus is coming soon. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. 
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 